I would like to welcome everyone to the Rockstar Roundtables. My name is Brianna Reese, and I'm the student coordinator of the Arlen Spectre Center. Today our topic is You Are Being Watched, Listened To, and Followed. Our host today is Jeff Siepel. Hi, I'm Jeff Siepel, the Vice President for Information Resources and Chief Information Officer here at Philadelphia University. I'm Josh Smicker, and I'm a visiting assistant professor of communications and the interim director of the communication program. I'm Bianca Ness, second year law and society major. And John Runco, also a third year law and society major. Jake Neep, third year law and society major. Evan Lane, the director of the Spectre Center. And on phone, we have our special guest. And I'm supposed to be a secret. I'm Rick Jackson, I was the chief information officer. I was chief at the University of Chicago for about 13 years, and then I headed policy for Educause, which is the National Association for Higher Education IT, um, and then did various other things which we could delve into as necessary. Thank you, Greg. Fantastic. All right. Um, the basis for this and the premise for our discussion today revolves around issues of security, surveillance, privacy, confidentiality. And I'll, I'll sort of set the stage and go back a couple of years. Um, some of you may remember that the NSA was um, essentially caught in a bit of uh, capturing streams of telephone conversation and storing large amounts of that conversation. Um, and in some cases, bypassing the laws and legislation that were put in place to provide a safeguard against the normal everyday citizen, most of which are in this room, or many of which are in this room, from having their conversations bypassed, wiretapped, and stored for future purposes as to be, to be determined. Um, one of the things we'll talk about today revolves around issues of privacy, personal privacy, and what the government or government agencies might be doing that could possibly invade that privacy or somehow erode it around the edges in ways that may not make us feel as though we're citizens of the country that we thought we were. I, I want to start the conversation, and this is our first one of the semester, so when you speak, identify yourself. So this is Evan. Um, when we are talking about the NSA listening, it's for a purpose. And the reason why I like having students here is because they are post 9-11, and Jeff, you and I are, we, we yeah. had some substantial years before 9-11 right. came about. Um, and I want to know what their views of privacy and the balance of national security versus your privacy. I've heard people say, hey, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not going to cause any trouble. So I have no problem with the government listening to what I have to say. I was interested to get the students first involved with this. What is your reaction to that? So. This is Bianca. Um, like you said, living as a post 9-11 child, I was only three years old when 9-11 occurred, so basically lived this all my life. Living in the post 9-11 world, everyone's a bit scared, as we discussed in class the other day. Everyone's motives, the government's motives are by fear. So I feel like privacy right now is not our greatest concern when national security is. Uh, this is John. I don't feel we have any privacy at all. And I'm not sure if it's enough of a concern to this generation. I don't believe that uh, through everything that we 
do, I think that we're being watched, and I question if there's actually a way to revert to not being watched at this point, and uh, that scares me, concerns me. Well, this is Jake. Um, when tapping someone's phone, uh, the individual being tapped, or if they're being invited for uh, their privacy, however, if that's not enforced, my opinion is it's going to be very difficult if we don't have the method to collect enough information to prevent any potential attack, then on this scale, proper public safety always supersedes private individual's privacy. Yeah, listen, Josh, um, I, I think your initial point about just the normalization of these things is really important. I think that, especially growing up in a post-9-11 environment, it's not even like there's this imposition from the outside. It's literally the way the world is structured, the world is built. I mean, sort of modes of surveillance are constructed in the environment around it. There, there are cameras everywhere. Um, and I think that something, sort of speaking to just the inescapability of it, is it's not only coming from the outside, but in a lot of ways, I guess maybe less from the governmental side, but I think certainly culturally, we're sort of signing up for surveillance. It's less about big brothers and necessarily tapping our phones and more of us volunteering information on social media, um, sharing with friends, these things that get coded as sharing, um, that get coded as potential networking. These are all also modes of data mining and data collection and storage, but I think that since it gets coded through self-improvement, uh, through professional development, through, through fun, I mean, this is the way that you sort of connect up with other people that you know and hang out with, that that sort of all goes into the sort of normalization of some of the more extreme forms, sort of like the NSA prism style of wiretapping and data storage. I think that there's a spectrum there with sort of surveillance that goes on in everyday life, like literally when you are looking up your friends and see, seeing who's posted what on Facebook and Instagram, helps normalize surveillance more generally. But this is generally, in an analog world, before digital, we had all those things, surveillance, wiretaps, et cetera. So, um, we're sort of, in a, in a way, we are now, um, you know, we're, we're under the tsunami wave, if you will, of all forms, just about anything you can imagine with regard to. But, but what is that, when we, again, before 9-11, if the government wanted to listen in on a conversation, they had a probable cause to get a search warrant and right. put a wiretap on it. So if you were doing something bad, uh, which was provable in front of a judge, you say, we have good information, that this person is selling drugs, this person is involved in some conspiracy, whatever it may be, the wiretap was placed, and there was regulation over that. After 9-11, we don't have to be doing anything. Anyone <coughs> in this room sitting here. Patriot Act. Right, the Patriot Act can be listened to. Uh, that, that has changed significantly, and what I keep facing of people who are younger is the same going back to, well, so what? Uh, I'm not doing anything wrong, so I don't mind the government listening to everything that I'm saying because they're listening to the guy next door who's actually planning something and they present, they prevent this catastrophe. I'm okay with that. That seems to be the prevailing attitude that I have found in, in the generation after mine because of the 9 method that changed everything. And I was interested if I'm perceiving it correctly or not. And if Bianca, Going back to you, what you said before, is that what you meant? Yeah, it's a normalization because I really don't know any other way. It's interesting to hear you know, your opinions on how it's encroaching on your privacy when we've never really had that privacy growing up on social media and people telling us it's for our own safety and the public safety, so it's, it's not put on 
problem to us. So it's pretty interesting to hear people who have lived before then, and they're like, it's, it's a problem to them. Actually, one of, um, one of our graduates, Laura Morrison, she put on our Facebook page, and she said, I wonder what it was like before 9-11, because she's about your age, or maybe she was five years old when it happened. And they don't understand what it was like to actually have privacy. Um, I, if you would have come to me and said that every, everywhere I went, I could be filmed, whether it's by the government or by my friends or by my enemies or whatever, I would say that was absurd, I, I couldn't believe it. Everything I say can be taped like the taping now, but at least I have your consent. I told you all beforehand you're being taped and you agree to it. But how about you're being listened to without your consent? And I think that actually speaks to one of the differences between the analog and the digital world, which is simply like the saturation of digital media. I mean, so yeah, you could wiretap a phone if you were really handy, you could sort of slip cameras into certain places surreptitiously, but now, Literally, almost the, the entirety of our communication is either through digital media themselves or in some ways connected to them potentially uh, on digital media. So, I mean, everything from being here at work to walking around campus to taking pictures of your friends that all have geotags built into them. They all have the time and date of where you forward. are and when you are. So, I think that, that sort of level of saturation and the fact that I think the other thing in terms of analog and digital is storage. It's so much easier to store all of this data as opposed to having some vast physical locations to actually have to, to have those sort of tapes or films. So I think that combination of those two things is one uh, one way that they're more sort of different. This is Jeff, I've taken it a bit further, not just the the digital all-encompassing forms of communication, but it's the all-encompassing forms of social interaction, uh, which may not be may not be verbal, maybe visual. Maybe moving visual. Um, it's it is far more ubiquitous than than just a form of communication. I think. But if I'm not doing anything wrong, why should I be upset that people are watching me or listening to me all the time? Well, I guess something I'm curious about, um, maybe re rephrasing a little bit, your initial question was: Are there any levels of privacy that you a think still exist or b think should exist? So it seems that one thing that consistent with all of you is that, especially when, we, when we're putting it in terms of the national government, national security versus my privacy, it's sort of a no-brainer, it just is, so even if you did disagree with it, nothing to be done about it then. I'm wondering, is there any level of privacy that you think exists? Are there boundaries in terms of corporations uh, doing sort of surveillance on you, or self-surveillance? Are there boundaries between what you feel is appropriate from your friends, from your classmates, from potential dates, potential partners? Is there any sort of type of privacy that you think exists? Maybe if we can get out of only the sort of big national level and sort of think of other other levels of privacy. Yeah. We, we have students always ask them, where, yeah. is, where do they draw the line? And we have, um, if you don't want people also listening, you feel, feel free to come in on that. What do you, say your name. Uh, my name's Colin. Speak um, up just a little bit. My name's Colin. I think that with um, privacy that still exists, the fact that we're in like a Western system that has a lot of different companies, we have a level of privacy there because we're only being data mined at like different points. It's not something that's necessarily happening in like, as from one company, like what would happen maybe in China. I know they have a lot of worries about data mining because it's not just diverging companies, it's a very unified governmental system. 
Um, and I think that things like Tor, uh, through distributed networks, we still have privacy, but even that is questionable because the government does log when we use Tor and when we use anonymizing uh, systems in order to stay anonymous. So I think that's something that we should still have, but we're slowly going to be losing. Can I pipe in something? Go right ahead.
We have now cameras everywhere, watching us from everywhere, not just in front of courthouses, but approximately every street. London has one every corner. So what's, if they're watching us, they have, they have, and I'm sure Jeff can verify this, that they have the technology to listen as well. Oh, of course. So what's to prevent that from being the next step to listening to our conversations, not even on the phones, but everywhere we go? We're going to have to go into basements somewhere in order to have private conversations and make sure it's um, internet free? I mean, actually, to Greg's point, the, the eaves are everywhere. I mean, there's, there's just no boundary anymore. Well, that's, that's not quite true. I mean, it's true in London. It's true in other places. I think it's worrisome some of us. But for example, I mean, I live in Washington, D.C. We parked my car up behind on the alley, and one night I left it open, and somebody came by and opened it up and you know, took my bag of quarters and my prescription sunglasses and odds and ends of other stuff, and then went away, and the cops showed up. And they said, gee, it's too bad there's no video on the alley. So I now have a video camera back out there, but of course it takes 20 seconds before it triggers, and so I always see the back of whoever's walking away. Um, it's not terribly hard to find places where you're not being listened to. Um, but again, this is my point is it's a shift where we used to be able to assume that if I was out in the alley, nobody's watching. Now my alley, you have to assume I'm watching. Um, and that's a big change. It's not going to go back. Regulation isn't going to change that. Subpoena's not going to change that. We're going to adjust our behavior accordingly. We will figure out how to do things privately, whether it's coded conversations, whether it's out in the open, I'm not sure exactly what. Um, there was a very interesting New Yorker article about the London camera stuff, which generates so much data that it becomes unuseful. Um, uh, and so it's a very interesting, and the article is interesting because it's a set of super responders who watch this video and see people uh, play that out. But it turns out that all of this recording in London is very good for looking for something you know is there. It's not terribly good for finding something without knowing it's there. We were talking to the students, uh, again, because we brought up Colin Collins said, just how much, where do you draw the line? Um, Dylan just joined us. Where do you draw the line as to where your privacy is? Um, that's a very difficult question, I think. I mean, if you draw the line like between uh, in your home, on the street, in your car, in your car. I mean, I know that we've gone into that for how many discussions during class. I mean, that no one really even knows. To me. <laughs> um, and I think that the most pressing thing when you look at like privacy would be around social media, in my mind, because that uh, we're all, and you guys wanted to get our input on it as students, I think that we're all beyond hooked into stuff like that. I mean, you've got 20 different kinds of social media and you're uh, putting yourself out there. And even to that extent, you know, we're talking about um, this echo thing, right, where, you know, you they downline all this stuff. I feel like a lot of more information, it's already out there. I, I, I think it's a much more pressing issue, realistically, is how normal and uh, numb we've become to just putting ourselves out there blatantly. I think that is more of a, the issue than anything else. But that's my personal I, input. I think that's so. Uh, this is Blaise. I think with the whole um, with privacy thing, with, with the Facebook and the Twitter, I know when you access the app, it says um, allow to access pictures, and it's either OK or cancel. And it's like you don't want to hit cancel, because via cancel, you can't access it. But if you hit OK, then they're allowed to, they're 
Checked it. Yeah. How many people in this room checked it? Raise your hands. A lot. You know, it's even worse. I can't remember. I probably did. Along the line of the apps, and Facebook is certainly one of the most prominent, um, there's a suit moving forward in California. Um, it's a class action suit against the Golden State Warriors and their ownership. Uh, Golden State has an app for their team, and when it was released, um, it did not ask you a couple of questions one of which many of you might not have seen before, which revolves around the fact that the microphone in your smartphone could be used even if the app is not turned on or not, not launched. Um, Insidious. How many of you carry your smartphones no matter where you are? All of us. Okay. All right, Greg, there went the eaves. <laughs> so.
capturing literally every movement of every player that goes on on the court. And the way this gets framed in terms of performance, so it's sort of helping them uh, understand their workout patterns and helping them do things more efficiently, this data is all being collected and a real concern, especially of the, the players' union, is that, well, if it shows, for example, that you're slowing down a little bit, or if it shows that you're trying to renegotiate a contract, you say you're recovering from your injury, but they can point to this data and say, well, in fact, you are still moving X, X per uh, minute, second slower, that this can actually not just sort of impact on-court performance, it can really start to impact assessments. It can start to impact salaries, contracts. And I think that that level of specific bodily detail that we also sort of start seeing in biometrics on ourselves, things like Apple Health, which again, or Fitbit, which we tend to sort of think of as we're using as, as self-improvement, as ways to sort of set reasonable goals, is also really collecting incredibly specific, specific and, uh, details about our, our bodily selves, our existence in a way that's not just our voice or our self-presentation. When we put it out there, as, as you guys and Jake, you go, they know where we're shopping, they know what we want, uh, they know where we're going, uh, they know our heart rates, they know how fast we're walking, they know practically everything we're saying and doing. Do you care? That, that, that's, that's, I'm posing it to the students. Do you care, Jay? And then we'll ask John. Actually, I think we should look at the situation from a different angle. Where we've been accusing and asking, is the government pushing this line too far? But can we ask ourselves, or society, while we're in pursuit of a high efficiency um, state, we are giving up and waving our side of the line. For example, back in the days, you know, when Gangsters, mobsters, and mafias were a hot thing in the United States, um, uh, especially during the Prohibition, where they go to discuss and conduct business. Um, underground in a barbershop, which is really a club. So it's how they protect their privacy at a private establishment. In modern society, like, um, sorry, so Josh, Josh, like Josh ma I mentioned, um, we use all these smartwatch and these smart devices to help us improve and monitor ourselves. By doing that, are we knowingly giving this information to a third party to analyze it in order to get a feedback? And if we have to talk legality-wise, then in the privacy, uh, there's, a third, uh, there's a third party involved already in whatever the business or the activity we're conducting. Therefore, are we giving up our privacy or is really the government or the society pushing the line? That's a great question. Yeah, John. Yeah, I agree that I believe that we are giving up our privacy 100% immediately. If we consider the technology that's available to us today, we're giving up our privacy. And it's led people I know in this generation to look into other technology, whether it be Silent Circle with the Black Phone 3.0 that they're coming out with. And it's completely changing IP addresses and it's changing and it's encrypted so that you have a different address all over the world, and it's not to be found. And do we have to start thinking in that way, or can we really actually trust the technology we're buying? Especially um, in the 21st century, a digital world. Uh, think internet as a huge data server, which it is, and we're all throwing pieces of data into it. And unless you can, like some individual, afford a private server in your basement and sending emails, uh, I'm not saying who, but <coughs> <laughs> the essential idea is unless you can you can make the entire process your own, 
you are involving a third party or someone you're not familiar with into the process of utilizing your own information. And that's no privacy. Therefore, there's you know, no privacy. We don't even need a government to come after us. We have totally given them everything they want. And also, I believe um, sometime, even b before 9-11, before this digital road, our privacies, in some ways, they're granted. For example, in your class, sir, uh, Professor Lang's class, we've been discussing about privacy for I don't know how many times. Um, <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Here we are again. <laughs> no, well, so it's always boring anyway. But that's why you're here. <laughs> so when you sending a letter, um, who owns the USPS, the government in the United States? So, uh, however, they can't just open up your letter. But can they do that? You are utilizing a third party that's owned by the government to transport your information to another individual or another business. Why can't they just open a letter? Well, they can find any bullshit excuse, like uh, if they were national security. national security or anything in that, but they're, they're not enforcing that. So to some degree, I think we should consider all privacy in some matter are given to us. It's a privilege. It's not a natural privilege, but it's been given to us. Um, I'd say I don't care unless I don't know. And I think if like the government not declaring their warrants and explaining, like, we are monitoring you, at least after the fact, like, if I'm a suspected criminal or something, at least after the fact, I think I have a right to know that there was a warrant out and I was being surveilled in a certain way, and I don't think that we have the legal um, precedent that says that the government needs to declare their warrants and needs to say that they have a warrant in order to act on warrants. So, that's... That's like my only concern because I have trouble trying to understand what the impact of not having privacy is. And that's what I'm getting to. The issue is we're talking, the older folks here are talking about, oh, it's, they, they, they know where we're going, they know where we're shopping, they know my heartbeat, they know everything, and I'm putting out, so what? And that's what you're like, so what? I'm not doing anything wrong. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. But it's not as simple as just I'm not doing anything wrong. Sort of very top, so the government 
asking why are you using tour sites, that clearly you must be involved in drug running, et cetera, et cetera, to a much more minor personal level. Why don't you want to give me your Facebook information? Why don't I have access to these photos? I think that by opting out, which still is, in some cases, partially a possibility, simply doing that throws you into suspicion. I mean, so I think that So that where's the threshold? Can I have your social security card, please? I mean, that's seriously, yeah. where's the threshold? I bet it's very different for, for Evan and I, maybe Jeff, than the students in the room. I'm just trying to put some general, generalization. Generational. I have some problem with what Greg said. Um, because we all have to eat, but if we're given food that's poisonous, we have no choice. Or we entered into a contract because we said I'm eating. Uh, I like to shop. Which is true, and I, I do like to get the uh, the ads. That's nice, but on the other hand, the poison or the or the chemical in all that that's going to kill us is the fact that my political beliefs are being mined. Things I may say that when we don't have a benign government, which we may not have in the future, um, that may want to know who's against them. Perhaps we have someone who's elected who's somewhat very paranoid and very thin-skinned who wants to know everyone who says anything about him so that they can come into our homes and arrest us. Uh, when you turn to your partner, wife, or friend and say, hey, that future president is a real a-hole, and then there's knocks on your door to take you away. And you may say, oh, that sounds ridiculous, and I will point you to any history book that will show you where that has taken place over and over and over again, where the technology was nowhere as good as this. So to me, the dark, we're not talking the dark side, that's what I'm trying to get at. We're all very happy to get the ads, we're very happy to, to people, our corporations and governments know everything that we're doing, and we're not doing anything wrong. None of us in this room are involved in any major criminal conspiracy, I hope. But, um, <laughs> okay, that was you, Greg, not me. Okay, so everyone will know that was the guy on the phone. But when it comes down to that, there's a very dark side, which I don't think you guys see. And that's what makes me very scared. Uh, Calvin. My name is Calvin. And this is just an example during, uh, this was an example after Boston bombing marathon, that in that, during that they used some pressure cooker bombs to make it. After that, after like a month or so, there was a, uh, there was a girl in New York trying to buy a pressure cooker. I was doing some project on pressure cooker, and she, she was just finding a certain details on pressure cooker, and the police showed up on her, on her door because that created a red flag in an essay or something. But she was not doing anything; she was just finding pressure cooker for some project or something. Mm -hmm. So I think it's not. They are not like monitoring. They have so much amount of information; they don't know what's right, what's wrong. This is a quote, I'm not saying this is Edward Snowden's quote, that they know Boston, uh, that the bomb was going on, that there was a planning going on during Boston bombing weapon, but, but there was so much amount of data that they had, they were not able to pinpoint who was going to do it or how it was going to happen. And by the way, in 9-11, they also had a ton of information on those individuals and on retrospect found it, but when they had it, there's so much information they had, there's nothing they could do with it, so what are we really even benefiting from that? Because the algorithms get better all the time. And the governments become less benign. I get it. Okay. 
Well, brilliant idea from my professor who loves cons conspiracy a lot. Um, essentially, it's not, even post 9-11, it is not safe to say, it is not fair to say that the government is invasive. However, it is balanced to say that they are paranoid. But are they not? Are they paranoid for a reason? Yes, they are. And the, since they're not invasive by default, again, it's kind of like the ideology fighting against an enemy when they have certain weapons, you must have certain weapons to go, you know, fight fire with fire. If your privacy can be hacked by the black hat hacker to take your information and the government has no ability to do the same, how can they protect you when in future digital warfare taking place? And also, is your information really that precious that they're in interest to tap you 24-7 and you are so afraid to give up and making slippery slope argument saying it is invasive and I'm in a world with no privacy. I mean, I guess I'm kind of curious, maybe a, a way to answer that question to throw it back to your students is, is, is there a threshold? I mean, so, because you seem to be saying that there really isn't one and that us really talking about it is sort of just a, we're old people, let's say we're, we're overblowing. <laughs> that's oh, so old. And, and I guess like, so I'm, I'm thinking of a very famous example so. that's from around here, which is uh, the case in Lower Marion, where students were given laptops uh, by the school district, and the laptops were surreptitiously photographing them. And again, sort of a accidental revelation of this, that a sort of similar thing happened to the Golden State case, where a student was called into the principal's office and accused of doing drugs, the reason why he was accused of doing drugs was it looked like he was taking pills on his laptop. In fact, he was eating Meganites. But that sort of like led to the revelation that all of these laptops were like silent. They, they was basically spyware on them that allowed them to turn on the camera and start taking photos wherever you are. Does, does that matter? I mean, why, if, if not, why not? If so, why? Is, is it sort of what you were talking about, Colin, that just the students didn't necessarily know, and as long as they knew, the school district could literally start looking at them at any time, that would make it okay? Or is there something about the degree of information, the intimacy of the information? Is there, because I think that based on a lot of recent, quite recent hacking cases, I think lots of people would say that my information that might be quite banal to me, if it is exposed and circulated to the world, does have a gigantic impact on my future employability. This is Jeff. Can I quote the FBI director who said you should cover the webcam on your laptop or your monitor? So, well, actually, I do that. Yeah. I do that too. We all have a picture of Mark Zuckerberg with his company. I was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but everyone in this room is covering their camera on there. Yeah, showing it. Yep. Wow, I'll be doing that tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I, I think this one thing, especially given this panel is um, fantastic with, no offense, elder generations and us young folks. Um, our understanding to the nature of the privacy is different, completely different. Is that a privilege versus a necessity right by default? Maybe before, I, I don't know, what was America it's like? My, it's my right as a citizen under the Constitution under Griswold case, that I have a right to privacy in my house, under the Fourth Amendment, I have a right to privacy in my house. It's not a privilege, it's a right. But I, the government ain't giving it to me. I've got it, the government's got to respect it. I don't, it's not the government is being nice and letting me have this right. The problem I have with you guys, the younger folks, is, and I think you, right on the head on it, 
you're giving it away. You're giving it away by consenting constantly, saying, take it, take it, take it. Can I throw something else in there as a response to you? Even if we sort of concede the point, so even if we acknowledge, even if I say, sure, okay, privacy is a privilege. I, I tend to agree with that, but, but I'll say, if, if privacy is a privilege, sure. What is it? What is that privilege? What does it look like to you? And also, what are the lines? I mean, even so, you're, you're, you all are saying it's a privilege, that it's less of a right. Does it? But it still seems to exist. How does it exist? What is privacy for you as a privilege? This is Jay. I'm just identifying different understanding from different generations on privacy. Honestly, I don't have any idea if how to define privacy. Is there really a right by default or my privilege? I have no idea. However, what I can say for my generation is, personally, I have no idea what's 9-11, you know, before 9-11, what's the United States like. I'm Chinese, I'm a foreigner here. And I, I came here, of course, after 9-11. And the way I see how, you know, the, the, when people talk about post-9-11 and about security, they often say, um, say stuff about airport security. And, Maybe to you guys, not be able to the, not be able to go to the gate to pick up your friends, it's unusual. But for us, that's just natural. The mindset is completely different. So I have I, I can't really objectively or subjectively describe to you what privacy is really what privacy really is. However, I do agree with most people in my generation were giving up the right. Regardless if that's a right or a privilege, we're giving that up because this pursuit of efficiency for daily life. Safety. Uh, I remember going to football games and baseball games, concerts, without being physically molested by police and security. And it appears that none of us seem to care. You're like, all right, touch me. You know, you put your arms up, and, um, and I know. I have to because I'll be arrested in a second if I give any problem. God forbid to even say anything to these people. And I resent the hell out of it. I really do, but I see people who don't seem to care. It's what they do. It's what we do. What is the next thing we do? And I guess maybe I think the, the, the airport example is also so much it's so much of what we think is keeping us safe. And part of the reasons why we're doing stuff is essentially theater. All right, that's so why these, these checkpoints we all go through, but they, there have been countless studies done by the government themselves that when they are trying to get things through these pat-down processes, these, these things that basically take naked images of us every time we go to the airport, that they can still get stuff through when they want to get stuff through, that there is a sort of sense that the, the trade-off or that, you know, that they're collecting all this information, your point that there is so much information that they don't even know what to do with it. So if they can think of specific things to do, great, but that's often retrospective. It's not really doing the preventative work that it's talking about. So the sense that there is also a sort of spectacular nature to uh, basically the, the surveillance that goes on, that we think that it's making us safer, we think that it's making us more efficient. It's not necessarily doing any of those things, but one thing that it is doing is generating a tremendous amount of data about all sorts of elements in our lives that other people can use for a whole series of reasons besides for safety or security. Uh, this is Blaise. I think regards to like the large crowds at like the baseball games or football games, I'd rather feel safe in a huge environment because people like take advantage of that and they bring guns in and like they don't target specific people. Innocent people get hurt, and I'd rather just feel safe with the pat downs and the the security than to not feel safe. Uh, go ahead, Jack. Oh, um, 
Um, just referring back to what John said um, regarding boundaries, what I think is interesting is that, speaking for my generation, the people that I interact with, is that once there's consent given, we feel better about it. We feel like there's no boundaries really needed. Trust once it. I give consent, like, I know I have most social media, I have Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, can in fast, can we use your location? And you know, of course we use it because it comes with the geotag filters and they're cute and everyone uses those. And Instagram, you can tag where you're at. But what I find interesting is that I had the um, iOS 10 update before it came out, I had like, the beta offline. And one thing it did with my photos, it arranged them in like small like little files of places I've been. Like if I took a picture here, it said Pittsburgh, PA, August 17th. And then I found that really interesting because I've never, I never put the location on for anything in my iPhone. And that's what I found kind of interesting. Once you never consent to something, you know, you give it a little double take. But I was like, all right, that's, that's cute, I guess. Like, I, you know, I never really <laughs> thought about it until I was like, hmm, every, literally every location I've been with every picture. And this, this is what scares the hell out of me. Because if we think it's, and I, it's not your language, it's ever, yeah. we think it's interesting and cute and fun to give away our fourth amendment rights. What has become interesting and cute and fun to give away our first amendment rights? What has become interesting and cute to give away all of our rights? Uh, that, that, that's, that's what really scares me. And when I preach to the students in the class, and you know, I kind of yell sometimes about our rights, um, I'm not seeing you really care because, oh, it's all right. Um, it's, it's just weird. I've just kind of been sitting and listening. It's, it's strange listening to the back and forth between the, the students, such as myself and the faculty, and how the real turning point was on 9-11. It's really what we're talking about here. It's, it's all on the truth. It's, it's from that point forward where, and realistically, our lives for us were kind of chosen for us. It, we are in this world where things are suppressed out of fear, and I think that is kind of what we're really arguing about here, talking about, because to an extent, none of us know what you guys are talking about, because we didn't experience it. So much so that it's across the board, like we don't know what it's like to truly not be unafraid. Like we don't, we're afraid, that's what it is, that's what it is. I'm seeing it boil down to, and I think that is probably the, the biggest poison of it all. Um, so know, the threat is fear. It's threat is fear, exactly. And you know, it's kind of it's like you were saying earlier, um, Josh. Josh, like you were saying earlier about um, people being able to get stuff through at like airports. Um, it seems like for nothing anyway, you know. Uh, and that that's that is really scary. That it's it, we, it just it happens and we were raised like that and it's an interesting point to see when we're going to get back if we get back to a point where we really endorse those rights. Um, this is Laura. I, I was just a couple of thoughts that are coming to my mind as we're talking about all these different things. So I work in career services and one of the things you know is we're talking about professional platforms and putting information out there. You know. We certainly are encouraging students and, and other professionals to use LinkedIn and to make sure that your your professional brand is out there, and you have you know if you're a designer that your information is out there, and that um, so I think in thinking about the different thresholds and levels here, you know there it's hard I think to determine okay well 
these are the things that I need to put out there about myself to be successful and, and to function in, in, in society and, and in my world, in my professional world right now. But, but then where, where do I not want to put things out there? Even something as simple as, you know, you're looked at, you're, you're linked, if you don't have a photo on your LinkedIn profile, it's like, mm, people, people think something well, about hiding, that. Yeah. Right, what are you hiding? What are you, you know, and so, but then on the flip side, you know, then you, you have to put a photo out there, whether you're comfortable with that or not. Um, and I also think, so, so I'm kind of in the middle of the generations, perhaps. I was a freshman in college when 9-11 happened and Facebook became a thing my senior year of college. Um, and so a lot of people, my peers and my generation are all having young children now. And most, most people aren't thinking twice about posting all sorts of photos about other children and where they are and all those things and that. So that makes me nervous and thinking about, oh my gosh, I don't, I don't wanna do those sort of things. And I've had to have conversations with friends to say, can you not tag my kid in those pictures or me in those pictures so that I'm not linked to that? And I, I think a lot of it is people don't think about it. You know, I mean, people will say, can I ask you why you're concerned about that? And I'm like, why are you not concerned? <laughs> yeah. um, but, but, you know, I mean, it, there's just, you know, a lack of... There's complete separation. Right. Like, there's no thought process towards this generation thinking about them, having right. those concerns. For us, there's no thought process to that. The more frustrating part is not being able to access the technology. If you're using image recognition technology, I'd like to be able to use image recognition technology as well, perhaps whether it's regarding fashion or anything, you can utilize it as well, but that's not being available to us. There's no thought process towards the safety, it's adapting with it. That's a great point. And I think, I think that A, like the, this sort of yeah, sense of network privacy, it's not even about what you're doing necessarily. I had a, a student who had an interview, she thought she did really well, um, she, she was sure she was gonna get this job, and was basically sort of previously assured that she was gonna get this job, did not get the job, and when she sort of had a follow-up, and it was somebody, one of the people she knew somebody at the company and talked about, essentially they found a photo of her uh, doing some questionable things that was not on her, she actually did a really good job of scrubbing her Facebook, but one of her friends had those pictures up about so it's a wild, her wild bachelorette night, um, and it still had her the facial recognition, it had her LinkedIn, and it showed up on a Google search, yeah. and they didn't like that. So it's not even what you're doing, um, it's what your friends are doing, what your family is doing. I think that's such a good point. And I, and I think that it sort of gets to why we have yet to hear a sort of definition of privacy from any of you, you young folks, the young generation. It's, it's I think, because it's, it's even more complicated, it's not just the technology, it's the fact that that technology means it's not even what you do. It's not even your practices. It's what the people around you do. It's about what other people in your network are doing with things that you might not even know exist. I mean, and certainly can't control. Yeah. But, but two points on that. I mean, the, the first is there's, there's this interesting distinction between threats and worries that are government-related, which is a lot of the conversation you know, 15 minutes ago, and the story you were just telling, which really has nothing to do with government. I don't disagree. And, you know, this, this is my point about there being all these different moving targets which are moving at different rates. Um, I also want to go back and point out that the, the constant observation as a generational thing is not unique to this particular generation gap. Um, so if you go back and think about the advent of the Electronic Communications Privacy Act in 1986 or so, you know, that was a sea change where up until then, by and large, the assumption was that anything on the internet was public and nobody needed any permission to intercept it or do anything of the sort. When ECPA came in, it imposed a set of requirements on internet communications that were like those that had been in effect for 
wants to give just one more comment, who wants to comment? Um, going back to what Josh and Greg said about privacy boundaries, I feel like we've been, myself, talking about myself mainly, been so desensitized to the fact that all of our information is out there. Because I know for a fact I was raised um, with the line, everything you put on the internet, it will be out there forever. Once it's there, it's done. So we're, we're aware in some aspect that it's out there, but we try to put our best face out. That's, that's, that's like the summary of what I can put. You know, we've always heard the, the scary horror stories of employers, like you said, finding something. So we try to put ourselves out there as much as we can in the best light. Hence the social media, all of those things. We try to portray ourselves in a way that everyone thinks, you know. If you go out with a friend and you have a martini, okay, and there's nothing wrong with that if you're over 21. You have a martini and the two of you are smiling. That picture may turn up one day and hurt you. Okay, and, and you weren't doing anything that wasn't completely normal and right. But you have thrown away everything. It's not only that you've given away your, your secrets, but now everything you do could be misinterpreted against you as well. Because they've opened up every window and looking in, in in various different aspects. You could be holding a fake cigarette and people with things to joint and that can go and haunt you in a job interview. Um, my final comment on this, I think, uh, Greg, I think the, the horse is out of the barn. Um, I think we're done, um, especially with the younger generation who basically doesn't seem to care. <laughs> so, wow. Um, and, and put that out there. So, I'm just hoping we hold on to the First Amendment. It's gone, baby. That's my statement, Jeff. You know what I'm I think that's why, excuse me, I think that's why Say they have uh, Kamal. Uh, mm -hmm. I think uh, that's why they have uh, professional websites like LinkedIn, you know, that really uh, shows uh, your face as a professional, you know. Uh, so that's, that's a site I think it really helps out uh, the individual as well, you know, that kind of show their assets and where they've been. Well, let me ask you one thing, because I've looked at LinkedIn for other reasons to see what some, where some of my friends have worked. And, that's you know where I've worked and where I've been and where I've lived. It's none of your freaking business. You know, to be honest with you, in, in my in my generation, that was private. But now I can know everywhere you've been, everywhere you lived. I can go on Spokio and know everyone related to you. I can know, and it's just to me outrageous that you can look me up and find out who my son is and who my daughter is. You can find out where they're living. You can find out how old they are and what they work. And frankly, I find that creepy. And I don't like it, but your generation, because you have to get jobs, and you've got to use, as, as you said back here, that um, you got to use LinkedIn. Everyone yeah. used to get a job, because so, that's the way it goes. Yeah, that's why the horse is galloping. It's, it's across the town. Right? Yeah. Okay. Well, I will, uh, let me wrap this up. Let me wrap this up. This is Jeff, and I will say that we have proven this afternoon that, once again, that all information, private, public, shared, unintentionally or intentionally, is power. And uh, thank you all for being here. This is a great discussion. Thank you, Greg, from a distance. Thank you, Greg, so much. Appreciate it. It was a pleasure.